0: Welcome to Marvelous Disney, the podcast that discusses the most recent doings of one of the more dynamic divisions of the Walt Disney Company, which is, of course, Marvel Entertainment. This is entertainment writer Jim Hill, and my co-host, the amazing Aaron Adams, and I are recording this week's episode on Wednesday, December twenty second, two 2001. On behalf of Mr. Adams and myself, let me wish you all the happiest of holidays. Here's hoping, as the shadow of Omicron looms over all of us right now. That 2022 brings lots of health and happiness, because Lord knows, after 21 months of this nonsense, we could all use a little of that right now. But Aaron and I don't want to talk about that right now, because we both just seen Spider-Man No Way Home and Episode 6 of Hawkeye over on Disney+. And as far as I'm concerned, this is already the most marvelous Christmas of all time. Aaron, how are you feeling at this moment that you've seen these two things literally within like the same 20-hour span, right?
1: I'm mixed like a cocktail. (laughs) Really? Okay. Yeah, well, the first thing, I'm not going to get into all the spoilers of all the things just yet. Mm Spider-Man was great. Happiness and joy there. Mm -hmm. Hawkeye, mostly joyous. My one Mm -hmm. thing is if they... Brought back Kingpin mm-hmm. just to get rid of Kingpin? Oh, we're going to have problems with Mister Feige.
0: Okay, well that brings me to an interesting bit of news that broke just earlier today.
1: But we'll get to that in
0: a sec. This is going to be a spoilerific episode, so I'm just telling you right up front. Aaron and I are going to talk in detail about Spider-Man No Way Home. Uh, we're also going to talk about uh, in depth about Episode Six of Hawkeye. If you haven't seen that limited series from Marvel Studios for Disney Plus, I'm gonna suggest that you just opt out. Because these two were so much fun. I don't really don't want to spoil them for you. And what we're we're doing this week is kind of a departure from a typical form. Folks, normally we start off with the news segment and then uh we then do the feature and what Aaron and I have elected to do this time is we're going to talk in depth. In fact, I, I guess, Aaron, you decided we're going to do first half of the show about hockey. Yeah, is I, that I
1: called the heads and uh, we chose the, uh, this end of the playing field. Mm-hmm. We will receive the kicking ball. We will receive. We will receive. Okay.
0: <laughs> now, normally on any other show at this point, again, we do the news, which meant that I this would be the time where I'd say the news portion of today's Marvelous Disney is brought to you by Storybook Destinations, trusted travel partner of the Jim Hill Media Podcast Network. For a worry-free travel experience, please book online at storybookdestinations.com. But since we don't have a news segment this weekend, and I don't have to do that. We are about to talk in depth about episode six of Hawkeye. After all of this hinting uh, about uh, Wilson Fisk, they just dove right in, didn't they?
1: Well, yeah, they started off and we get a healthy dose of Wilson right up front because, I mean, they left us in the last episode with just a picture. So they know Mm -hmm. that we're just drooling and foaming at the mouth for kingpin content. Mm -hmm. And so, of course, they're going to start off the episode with a nice, healthy you know, five-minute scene or so of of Kingpin being Kingpin, and it's just glorious. Mm -hmm. Uh, The problem I have is when you get towards the end of the show, they imply heavily. They don't show anything on screen, Mm -hmm. but they imply heavily that the Kingpin is no more, and I have problems with that. I call shenanigans on Kevin Feige. Shenanigans, Kevin Feige. Shenanigans. Okay, well,
0: let me then
1: direct your attention
0: to a story that got posted on The Direct earlier today. And the headline reads, Hawkeye reportedly deleted post credit scenes. Those of us who have actually seen episode six knows that there's a mid credit where God help us, they do the entire number. I could do this all day from Rogers, the musical. And isn't that
1: just a joyous treat to give to us?
0: Uh, you, you
1: wanna? I it's mean, like do, digital coal, right? <laughs> what you get in your stocking? Ah, oh, darn it! I got. I could do this all day, Fooey. Uh, yeah.
0: <laughs> well, I I will say this much: I was so happy to see Mark Shaiman, uh, the the gentleman in the pit who was uh, supposedly conducting the musical. Mister Shaman is is the gentleman who actually wrote this parody song, the the, the from Rodgers the Musical. He wrote the score for Hairspray with both the Broadway musical and the, the film version. Likewise, uh, he's, he's worked with Disney. He did, he and his partner, Scott, I believe did the uh, score for Mary Poppins returns. And he also, if you're a fan of one, Billy Crystal, used to sing at the Oscars. Uh, Mark was always involved with writing those parody songs. So it was nice to see him, but yeah, that was, I mean, I, I really understood what Clint Barton was feeling watching that show. It's like, wow, this is going on for quite some time.
1: I mean, if some if, if we had a worldwide disaster where we were invaded by extraterrestrial <laughs> aliens and a group of six or seven people banded together and put their own life at risk to save all of humanity, I would think they would have gotten a better writer for the musical that came afterwards.
0: Well, remember the whole producer's timeline, you, you create a really terrible musical, so it closes quickly and you collect all the money. This, this could be the, the battle plan with Rogers the musical. But anyway, we're, we're not talking about that. We are talking about the scene that supposedly got cut from the post-credit scene for Hawkeye. And it was supposedly, it showed Wilson Fisk back in his office. He had somehow survived his encounter with Maya and Echo. I don't know quite what shape he was in, but it showed him at his desk receiving a package. And the package had been sent to him by Clint Barton. And inside of it was the Ronan sword. And with a message to the effect of, hands off my family. What the folks at the director are supposedly postulating is that this was the original plan. And that would have then teed up the Echo series and clearly indicated that Kingpin was going to remain on the MCU canvas. But evidently there was a decision made that, look, this has become a Christmas show and you can't end a Christmas show darkly, especially after a big musical number like that.
1: Yes, you can. We need to know that Vincent D'Onofrio is okay. (laughs) (laughs) Well, now, here's the thing. and As much as I want him back and I want proof that he Mm -hmm. will be back in the MCU, Mm -hmm. I do think it is a wise decision because it would have been confusing the the way that you describe it because if we have Maya Mm -hmm. get revenge by shooting the Kingpin character, even off screen, Mm -hmm. well, that implies that... He's dead, she's got her revenge, and she goes off into the sunset. Mm -hmm. But then to have him just miraculously show up okay sitting at his desk after being shot and presumed dead by someone, Mm -hmm. that just really would make no sense at all as far as story structure. You'd have to see him physically get up or have an ambulance take him away to imply that he got help somehow some way before you can then transition to him behind a desk. Because that that just would have a big disconnect there, I think for the audience, it does for me just by the explanation right now. So I
0: I get that I get that, but I, I also I was so looking forward to talking with you after watching this episode because one of the things I'm doing, you know, as we head into the holiday weekend, I'm heading over to Netflix to watch all of Daredevil because uh, was this the version of Wilson Fisk, you know, kingpin on that show? Because this character seemed to verge on the supernatural. I mean, he he took an arrow to the chest and snapped it off. He was hit by a car and knocked through a store window and still got up and fought.
1: Yeah, but you got to remember in the Daredevil show, his vest was made out of Kevlar, so he could handle all that.
0: Okay. Well, not okay. all
1: of it. So, yeah, the Kingpin has always been one of those anomalous type of characters who doesn't have a real superpower. Mm -hmm. And he's always been drawn as like fat, but there's muscle underneath all that fat, right? So he's Mm -hmm. incredibly strong and he's incredibly thick-skinned, so to speak, Mm -hmm. to where he can take a a bunch of abuse and still get back up. Mm -hmm. And when he got shot in the chest with an arrow, I was like, oh my goodness. And then he Mm -hmm. just... Broke off the shaft using his cane with a swipe. And by the way, that cane with the big old diamond head. Yes.
2: Yes. Oh, mm-hmm. that's
1: glorious. I'm so okay. happy to have that in, in real life now. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so he, do, he does that and then he gets hit by a car and then you gasp. Oh, he can't survive that. And then the next shot is him getting up and you're like, whoa, this guy's amazing. Mm-hmm. And then we end with a gunshot that happens off camera. So, well, now we just have to hope that he can survive that. But, uh, yeah, in the the comics, he's always taken this tremendous abuse, Mm -hmm. never had any mutant power, never got bitten by a radioactive, thick-skinned thing. (laughs) Uh, So we don't really have a reason for his toughness. Mm -hmm. But I'm thankful that that it is the way that it is, because, man, he's such a treat to have in the MCU. I love Vincent D'Onofrio's portrayal so much.
0: One of the the things that I really enjoyed about this episode is, The reversals. I mean, for example, uh, Tony Dalton's Jack Dutton-esque, is is that how we we pronounce his name? Duquesne. Duquesne, uh, Jack Duquesne. I love that he became a good guy. We see him out on the plaza fighting with the tracksuit guys with his sword. But for me, what was interesting to watch the real world intrusions into this thing, like for example... The owl in the tree at Rockefeller Center, do you remember this time last year, all people could talk about when they brought that tree down from upstate New York and set it up in Rockefeller Plaza, they found a real owl inside of it?
1: Yeah.
0: You know, and in fact, named him Rocky, the Rockefeller Center owl, and took him back upstate and released him, but... He not only factors in, you know, that, that they throw him in there, it, it, but he also, you know, then carries off that teeny tiny truck full of tracksuit guys. I love the moment that led up to that where we're both Tate and Clint are standing, well, you know, after the pim arrow hit it and shrunk it down, well, what do we do about that? And it's like, geez, I'll have to talk to Scott. And then the owl carries it off. And it's like, well, that's taken care of. Yeah. Now
1: them <laughs> making a whole quiver full of arrows and they've got both Stark tech and Pim yep. Tech in one mm. quiver? Well, that's like yep. a billion-dollar quiver right there. There you go. That was so much fun with, with all of their different trick arrows and whatnot. But we should mention the Grinch mm. who steals every scene. Yelena.
0: Yeah. In fact, it, it's interesting you you mentioned the Grinch, because think about it. She arrives in the party in her bright green jacket. And then I love that scene where she's she's left the party. She's pursuing Clint and Kate is trying to slow her down. Did you catch the camera work in, in that scene where they're they're fighting through that block of offices? Mm-hmm. It's a series of continuous shots. But at the same time, you know, Yelena really does seem to enjoy hanging out with Kate. I mean, there was that wonderful throwaway line where they're like, that throwback there, that was good.
1: Yeah, complimenting each other's fighting styles and whatnot. yeah. yeah.
0: Yeah, They're going to make a
1: great team in the very near future. I can sense it. Oh, no, 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 no doubt. No doubt.
0: But conversely, though, after you have the tremendous battle with Kate and Clint out on the ice at Rockefeller Center, Kate's gone off to try to, to find your mom and ends up battling with Kingpin. And then we have Yelena and Clint on the ice. And what did you make of that?
1: Well, I thought it was a great use of of taking the movies and tying them together mm-hmm. in a meaningful way. the The whistle mm-hmm. that we get from Black Widow, yeah,
0: the the very opening scene of that one. Yelena and Natasha are just kids when the. The family's hiding in plain sight in suburbia.
1: So there's that, and then how she wants to know, and he's like, look, if I told you, you wouldn't believe me. And us as an audience is like, he's right, sister, you wouldn't believe him. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, there's just no way that you could tell that story and have everyone go, yeah, that's sure, that's how it happened. Like, you just want to hand her a, a Blu-ray and go, here, watch it for yourself. Mm-hmm. But you can't quite do that. Yeah. But uh, the the way that he tells the story and the way that he cared for her, the way that he fought her, and, mm-hmm. and he's right, he could not have beat her. Mm-hmm. she had set her mind to it she was always going to kick his butt and have it her way cuz that's the way that that her character is is told mm-hmm. so it, they did a really good job of tying elements of infinity war and black widow mm-hmm. into this one moment through just a couple of lines of dialogue and mm-hmm. making it very emotionally resonant mm-hmm. for the audience i thought it was beautiful
0: yeah i i have to agree and In much the same way as Maya Echo, did she take out Kingpin? You know, what became of that character? The notion of Yelena just turns and walks. She doesn't, in the end, kill Clint, which, given that the Countess, well, all right, what is it? Eleanor hired the Countess, or reached out to the Countess to hire somebody to take out Clint. By the way, that opens up a very interesting line of questioning, at least to me, that the I'd love to see the timeline for this, because wouldn't it make sense that Eleanor wouldn't be reaching out to the Countess to get somebody to take out Clint Barton till he showed up at the house? Remember, what was it? Didn't Was it episode three or episode four that ended at the Bishop Townhouse? And that was when Jack pulled the Ronan sword on uh, Clint?
2: Hmm.
0: Wouldn't that be when She's like, oh, my daughter is hanging out with this Avenger and I need to take him out.
1: Yeah, well, now, now with that question being asked, I'll have to go rewatch the series and mm-hmm. with, with fresh eyes and take another look at it. Because mm-hmm. that may be a plot hole that we missed previously.
0: Well, I wouldn't necessarily plot hole. I just, you know, for me, it's just fascinating. Did I want to make the call to the Countess who in turn reached out to Yelena who came running back up to New York to do this? Again, somebody will know the answer to this. Right. We then, we get the moment we've been wanting for all six of these episodes. Clint actually does make it home for Christmas, you know, to to spend time with his wife and his kids. But as he mentions, he brings home a few strays and here's Kate and here's Lucky the dog. I have to ask, did you see the watch thing coming? So
1: it's his wife's watch. Yes. Yes. And Uh, she was a agent of shield at one point. That's what's inferred.
0: In fact, what's interesting is if you look around online, people are, are saying supposedly that Laura Barton was actually Mockingbird. Are you familiar with this character at all?
1: Yeah. That was the girl that was played by, uh, Oh geez. Um, Adrian Policki. There we go. She yes. was the one that played Mockingbird for a couple seasons. Now mm-hmm. if she is supposed to be uh no. No. It can't be. She can't be Mockingbird. Okay. Uh okay. I mean I'm I'm saying Clint's wife can't be Mockingbird. Mhm. Cuz does that end up undoing all of Agents of Shield if she Well,
0: is? you know, the what's kind of interesting is that and and this has been kind of a complaint from some fans of the MCU that you yourself have talked about this era and that initially there was supposed to be lots of connective tissue between uh, the MCU and agents of shield. And over time that just sort of that idea kind of fell away. So the notion that they may be launching this storyline or this idea that effectively pretends that agents of Shield didn't happen it's kind mm. of
1: concerning for those of us who watched, what, six years of that show? Right. Like, if Colson shows up again, like, hey, guys, how you been? I've just been <laughs> hanging out over here at the Dairy Queen, eating a cheeseburger. What have you been up to? Like, yeah. oh, wait a minute. That's not how that went. You went to Haiti.
0: So we now go to Kate and Clint step away from the family, enjoying Christmas morning, and they go outside and they effectively end the Ronin storyline by setting fire to the old Ronin suit. How did you interpret that sort of last bit of dialogue where, you know, Kate sort of trying on things like Hawkshot or Lady Hawk or Eve Hawk or that sort of thing? And the last thing we hear from Clint is, I got an idea about that.
1: I think he's just ready to say, why don't you just take the name Hawkeye and let me stay at home with my family Mm -hmm. and not deal with this crap ever again? That can be your problem, youngster. Y'all wanted to be a superhero? Well, go have at it, sucker.
0: Because that's the other thing we've kind of stepped over, skipped around here, is there were a couple of really great scenes between these two as they were prepping and getting ready about what being a hero really is and, you know, the hard choices and controlling losses and that sort of thing. And just this wonderful Venn diagram of a really great story built around Hawkeye, where we get to see this guy sort of finally embrace being a hero. I mean, think about that moment. I think it was in the very first episode where Clint had taken his his kids to a Chinese restaurant and went to settle up the bill. And the guy, you're no, your money's no good here. You saved the city. And, and how uncomfortable he was with that. But to watch him at the end of this, where he could finally... Through his interaction with Yelena, sort of finished mourning Black Widow. I mean, he'd still miss his friend, but he kind of right. put it in the review. And he was also ready to, you know, I'm going to be home with my wife and kids. And, you know,
1: somebody else can do this. And that somebody else. Yelena should have ended up at his house along with Kate for Christmas. Because. The kids called her Auntie Natasha whenever mm-hmm. she came to visit, right? Mm-hmm. So you bring Elena in, and then the family can share all their stories about Auntie Natasha, and boy, she'd feel so right at home, because you kind of feel like her and Clint have to have a bonding moment. They do. They do.
0: But I think what's been very interesting about these limited series where you get six episodes or eight episodes, we you can be somewhat leisurely with how people watching people become friends. In fact, it's so interesting. Just today, I got in the mail the official Marvel Studios collector special for Falcon and the Winter Soldier. And think about how long it took over the course of that limited series for Sam Wilson and Bucky Barnes to really become friends. To really, you know, sort of form as a team.
1: No, it's it was like using the Forty Eight Hours movie as a blueprint for the buddy cop movie. You know, it's like they don't get along; they shouldn't get along. Mm-hmm. Matter of fact, the the more they don't get along, the more fun we, as an audience, have. You're not wrong. It, there's a reason that something like that, a
0: formula, people circle back to a formula like that. It's because... the
1: odd couple with guns. <laughs> <laughs> He's messy. <laughs> He's got poor aim. <laughs> there, there we go. That, that, see, now
0: there's the, the, there's the film that, that Neil Simon missed. You know, damn. Yep. Face it. I think I think we're all now looking forward to, given the obvious chemistry, as you mentioned, between uh, Haley Steinfeld. And uh, by the way, I'm, I I have been hammered on this by multiple listeners on Twitter. So let me prove I finally forget her how to say this. Her name is Florence Pugh. Not Elizabeth Plug, which, <laughs> you know, I, again, I apologize. I just, I'm old. I, you know, the, the sad thing is for a new name to come into my head, some other name has to go out. But I get chided on on Twitter. I finally got the Pew part right, but I kept calling her Elizabeth Pew. But Florence Pew, Florence Pew, who did an amazing job, you know, I mean, to come in for just the last two episodes of, of this thing and effectively... Steal scenes whenever she was on screen. I really I cannot wait to see Florence Pugh and Haley Stanfield, whether it's the new Avengers, isn't there a
1: The Young Avengers? Young Avengers, yeah. yeah.
0: Uh, which is set on the West Coast.
1: Yeah, that, that could be a good time if we got like a West Coast Avengers. But we haven't had anything actually happening in the West Coast. It seems like New York City is the hotspot for all of the activity in the MCU right now. If If anything's going to happen in North America, it's in New York City, it seems like. People in the Big Apple, be aware. Your town is tainted. I don't know why. Uh.
0: Speaking of, of which, when we get back from this commercial break, we're, we're going to talk about a, another story that took place in New York, kind of contemporaneously, because in, in the opening moments of Spider-Man No Way Home, we, we actually got to see a, a poster for Rogers the Musical. So it's supposedly happening in the, the same place in the same window of time. But yeah, hang out, folks. We'll talk No Way Home in depth in a moment.
1: Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo Concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go
2: to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, price line.
0: This part of the show is where we talk about Spider Man No Way Home. So you got to have to see this on a matinee
1: uh, yesterday, right? Yeah. I, I cried like a overly sentimental person watching The Notebook, Jim. It was a wonderful treat to see Spider-Man No Way Home from beginning to end. Oh, my goodness. And oddly enough, my wife was even ready to go buy another ticket and see it immediately. And uh, I'm going to top it even more. It was also one of the worst theater experiences I've ever had. Whoa. Yeah. What happened there? Well, due to assigned seating, one Mm -hmm. family, we we had purchased our tickets, and a Mm -hmm. family bought the rest of the row around us, Mm -hmm. and they wanted to all sit together, so they asked if we would move over a few seats, and then some people came in for their seats, which is where we were sitting, and then they Mm -hmm. wanted their seats, so we had to move a few more seats. Uh, so this, and then it, I mean, the guy wanted to sit with his daughter during the movie. I'm not going to, you know, gripe about that too much, but then halfway through the movie, uh, mm-hmm. the projector quit and the house lights came on. Oh, and, no. but the audio, yeah. But the audio kept going. Mm-hmm. And so you're listening to what was going on, but you couldn't see what was going on. And then they had uh-huh. to come in and stop the movie and then go back five minutes and rewatch a little bit of it and then get all caught up. And it was like, Oh my goodness, people, I just want to have one night where it's Okay outside of those couple of glitches where it was just inconvenient and silliness,
2: mm-hmm.
1: the movie itself was spectacular.
0: What was so impressive about this film, is you think about it, you are attempting to take the three different Spider-Man franchises coupled with a big chunk of Doctor Strange and let's also talk about Matt Murdock. In fact, in a weird sort of way, that, for me, teed up the film in such a smart way because yeah, Matt Murdock is only in this thing for maybe 90 seconds to two minutes. But that sort of set the tone to the effect of when people come into this thing, it was all handled like get spotlights right on them and, you know, they're front and center and they deliver the goods.
1: We had a packed theater and when Matt Murdock came on screen, there was an audible gasp of, oh, he's back. And so th- we knew that there were a lot of fans in the audience that night mm-hmm. simply because of the reactions of when they happened, how they happened, and where they happened. You know, mm-hmm. And we'll get to some more reactions of other faces when they appear on the screen in a, in a few minutes, but we don't want to move off Charlie Cox too quick. The timing,
2: mm-hmm.
1: Jim, between Kingpin yep. arriving in Hawkeye yeah. and then Spider-Man having Daredevil, I mean, it was so, so... Zen happy moment. Mm -hmm. I just couldn't be more happy for all of that coming together in a a two week window. Oh, no, 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 absolutely. Absolutely.
0: But I will tell you, having seen Eternals and, and again, no disrespect to Chloe Zhao, but that was a two hour and 37 minute long movie. And you felt all two hours and 37 minutes, whereas Spider-Man no way home two hours and 28 minutes. Seemed like 15. It zoomed along. I mean, it might have gotten a little baggy in the middle because there was a, you know, I mean, face it, they they had so many people to introduce. And then
2: mm-hmm.
0: and then here come Toby and Andrew. But I wouldn't have changed the second of their introductory scene because if you were laying down money about how those those two came into the movie, would you have picked Ned's grandmother's house?
1: No, no, but I also would not have predicted that my favorite scene in the entire movie is mm-hmm. MJ using bread as a defensive weapon against Andrew Garfield. That <laughs> yeah, was, I mean, her, her and then she gets into her karate stance immediately yeah. afterward, like she's going to do some damage to this uh-huh. imposter Spider-Man. Uh-huh. No, that that I could just like loop that on a GIF all day long <sighs> and just watch her throw bread at Andrew Garfield because I think that's hilarious.
0: <laughs> but also, I love that moment where where Ned's grandmother's talking to Ned and she and Ned's like she wants you to get the the cobweb in the corner and and that's how he proves he's Spider Man not yep. from hanging from the ceiling. But okay, I'll crawl on the ceiling and get over and get the cobweb because that's such a grandma thing to do. There was so much of this movie half the fun was, were the surprises like, and I know we've talked about this on, on previous episodes, because one of my fears going in to, uh, no way home was that they were going to take one of my favorite characters from the whole film franchise is Alfred Molina's take on doc Ock, mm-hmm. who had redeemed himself. And that the final seconds of, of Spider-Man two had gotten back control of himself and ordered to prevent, new york city effectively from being new he pushed his you know the, hold the power of the sun in your hand you know that that he he pushed it into the hudson river but to bring him back and still have a variation on the redemption arc
1: well that was very the very same way with sandman where the, his first appearance is yes, to stop yes. and protect spider-man he's like hey it's your buddy flint marco yeah you're like, wait a minute what
0: yeah i mean yeah that's what was kind of intriguing to me. And, and at the same time, what did you think of Jamie Fox's work as Electro? I'm, I'm blanking the, the name of the, um, oh, Max, Max, uh, Max Dillon.
1: I really disliked his character in amazing Spider-Man Two. Mm. Okay. Really disliked it. Mm-hmm. And this was my original complaint before seeing the movie. Mm-hmm. I wanted MCU versions of Dr. Octopus and the green goblin. Mm-hmm. Like I already had the, those versions from almost 20 years ago now mm-hmm. and they were great. I loved them, but I wanted to see what the MCU version of those characters was going to be. Mm-hmm. So to get those exact same characters was, was my letdown. That's where I was like, huh. Oh. so yeah, the movie was great. I loved it dearly. That fear that I had was misplaced. Mm-hmm. But I still, you know, Jamie Foxx's character, when they got to where he's, like, asking about the different Spider-Men, well, there's got to be a black one out there somewhere. Yeah! I mean, that that line was worth him him being back in the movie. The one thing was, like, the fact that they were able to go on a field trip with all the villains, (laughs) and nothing got out of hand right away. Yeah! And you're like, how is it that he's able to let them out of their cells, Mm -hmm. and they're not just all jumping him right now and messing him up?
0: But that, to me, was half the fun of really an interesting arc for Tom Holland's, you know, a, a version of Spiderman. The notion of if they go back, they're dead, and it's like right. I don't want to do that, and trying to find a way, which made that scene when they're all back in Happy's apartment. In fact, I love it's a little vignette, and I think this might actually still be in. Dr. Strange's dungeon, but, but when it's Max and Flint Marco are comparing this, well, well, how did you become a guy made out of sand? Well, I fell into a particle accelerator and well, how did you become an electric guy? Well, I fell, fell into a bed of electric eels and Jamie Foxx says, yeah, you got to be really careful about what you fall
1: into. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and
0: it's just, I mean, these wonderful little weird character moments.
1: I do think that that Marvel has listened to fans' criticisms over mm-hmm. the years because- Willem Dafoe never needed a mask to play the Green Goblin. Mm -hmm. And so like the very first thing they did was have him get into a fight with his mask so he could punch it and break it Mm -hmm. and let Mm -hmm. him go through the rest of the movie with just his face, which I think was one of the best decisions they've made with that character in a long time Mm -hmm. and was thrilled for that, like right off the bat. Also, the Andrew saving MJ. Mm -hmm. I'm not going to lie at all. I cried. I cried. Mm -hmm. I openly wept. A lot during that know What
0: really made that moment for me, and what's interesting is if you talk with the people who work the movie, it's the same music cue. It's the exact same sound bed but he saves her. And but, right. but what makes that moment for me is, is Andrew's, you know, take on, on Peter Parker, barely holding together, you know, talking to MJ. It's like, are you okay? And MJ is looking at him and like, are you okay? Cause you could, this really is undoing you for some reason. Yeah. And you know, that, that he redeemed himself, that he could have that moment. He could get there in time and save her.
1: <laughs> you know, on, on the way home, I, mm-hmm. I, I got to whisper this so the wife doesn't hear. So I'm going to lean in real close. That's the yep. secret. On the way home, I would, I would, I was driving the Jeep and I would look at my wife and I'd say, hey, baby, Andrew saved MJ. And she'd start crying. Don't tell. Don't tell. (laughs) It's a secret. Uh, it Still works too, by the way. You do it right now. Tears.
0: Anyway, go ahead. (laughs) But, But at the same time, we're kind of overlooking, you know, one of the MVPs here, which is Benedict Cumberbatch as Dr. Strange, who... I love how he came into this thing with the whole, you know, he and Wong sort of being the the bitchy older, you know, married couple. To the effect, of, well, somebody didn't pay the maintenance bill, and, you know, and that's how the blizzard got in. Mm-hmm. And him getting so upset at Peter about, you know, he's he's casting this, the whole world will forget you, spell, and it's like. And, and But I'm doing this to make the whole world forget that Peter Parker ever existed and you never once reached out to the college first and pledge your case. And yeah, just... That
1: was a good like dad <laughs> is just reaming the, the kid, you know, and the kids just uh, feeling it. Yeah. Uh, do we have to keep an eye out on mugs in future Marvel movies? Are they trying to tell us stuff in their mugs? Because in Hawkeye, mm-hmm. uh, Hawkeye was drinking from a coffee mug that said Thanos was right. And in Spider-Man No Way Home, mm-hmm. uh, Dr. Strange is drinking from a coffee mug that says, oh, for Fox sake, and it's got a picture <laughs> of a Fox. So it's oh, for picture of a Fox sake. And they just acquired Fox. So oh, oh for Fox sake, I think is rather clever. But uh, yeah, I think I think Marvel is feeding us gags through their coffee mugs. Mm hmm. A couple of things I noticed, Jim, okay. the, the uh, black and gold integrated suit. If you go look at the toys, it's called the integrated suits where he would strap the cell phone to his chest. Mm-hmm. Turns out that's just as far from home suit turned inside out. Did you realize that? I did not. Oh, yeah. The, cool. the gold is the like the circuitry. Of that runs through the inside of his suit. If you watch like the first you know couple of movies when he's looking at the inside of his suit, it's it's got circuitry in the pattern of the webbing, Mm -hmm. and that's how they hide it. So yeah, when he got I guess paint all over his suit and he needed to still go out, they just turned the suit inside out, and that's the black where the black and gold suit came from (laughs) because the original suit had paint on it. Yeah, I mean you know we were looking at that suit online and in the trailers and whatnot before the movie came out like. Does Doctor Strange create a magic suit? Is that what this is? You know what? What is this? And and it just didn't make any sense. But now, in the context of the movie, it's like ah, okay. Also, J. Jonah Jameson is a different antagonist than he was previously because Peter doesn't work for him, so we don't get direct face to face. We don't.
0: Hatred. In fact, I, I'm so glad you mentioned that because that the, for me that was the one real letdown of the film was that. JK Simmons just didn't get the chance really to cut loose as Jay Jonah Jameson because yeah. and, and and you've nailed it that they're you know the only interaction they really had in in a direct form was kind of when Peter called him and you know, to share the information that you know he was out at the Statue of Liberty and had the box and come get me but yeah it just it, it wasn't quite as fun a take and I kinda of felt bad for JK because he, he couldn't lose for that matter, uh Rise Iphens, the Yeah. The gentleman playing the lizard, I, I think that was probably the only visit villain from the previous films that was sort of given short shrift. I think he was the first to be uh redeemed out on the Statue of Liberty.
1: Well, turn back. I wouldn't say redeemed. Yeah, turn back. Turn back. There we go. But uh he well Sandman also, because, I mean, he was never really on the villain's side totally, in, mm-hmm. and he just wanted to go home, and that was his whole bag. But Amy Pascal was asked mm-hmm. about getting everybody back together, and was, was it difficult to get everybody back together? Were there any holdouts? And mm-hmm. she says there, were, there was, but it wasn't who you think it was.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And there was rumors that Toby Maguire was holding out for a big fat pile of money. Give me that mm-hmm. Disney money. And uh, if we would just assume that Toby was the holdout, and she Mm -hmm. says it's not who you think it is, Mm -hmm. well, that means it's somebody else. And Jamie Foxx was the first dude signed, I think, to (laughs) this movie, probably even before Tom Holland was. (laughs) You know, I mean, he was out there early going, I'm playing yellow electro, Mm y'all. And Dizzy went, shh, quiet. (laughs) Stop it. And then they went to Alfred Molina and went, can you keep a secret? And he went, of course I can. I'm Alfred Molina. And they said, we want to bring you back as Dr. Octopus. And he went on Twitter and went, hey, I'm playing Dr. Octopus, y'all. And they went, shh, quiet. <laughs> then they went to Willem Dafoe and they went, Willem, we're going to ask you a question. I want you to answer honestly. Can you keep a secret? And he went, no. They went, all right, well, we're going to hire you for a movie, but we, we weren't, we're not going to tell you what it is. He went, okay, I'm Willem Dafoe. <laughs> He went on Twitter and went, hey, y'all, I'm going to be in a movie. And Disney went, nah, that's okay. <laughs> <laughs> so I think that the, one of the hard ones either had to be Thomas Hayden Church mm-hmm. or re Which one do you think it was? That's an interesting question. By the way, bonus points here. Someone on Twitter posted a picture of the Sandman and the Rhino and said, if these two don't go to the Napa Valley on a wine-tasting vacation, I'm going to be so pissed.
0: Yeah, yeah. <laughs>
1: if you don't understand the joke, look up sideways. All right, there, there we you go. go. There
0: right. we go. Speaking of which, though, that when reality w- was cracking open, supposedly— yeah. You, you could see Rhino in there. I did not catch him, but again, I'm planning on seeing this movie again. So,
1: As the cloud turns, you see what seems to be the horn, which is the giveaway for the rhino. And my ah. Rorschach test on the other cloud will say Craven the Hunter all day long. Because oh, uh, it just looked like it had a fluffy collar type area around the shoulders. <laughs> it looked like a, a human, but buff and fluffy around the top. So I'll say Craven the Hunter on that one. By the way, I
0: again, I'm sorry, but I, I do tend to break this film up into to the little mosaics. Mm. I have to tell you, one of the moments I genuinely loved was when Toby Maguire's Peter Parker and Alfred Molina's right. Doctor Octavius finally meet up, and the genuine pleasure that Peter Parker has to be seeing Doctor Octavius again, and the same thing, my boy.
1: Yeah,
0: I, I do. It was a great little. Mo- I mean, that's the thing. There were so many. Great little moments, but at the same time, I, I, we're kind of dancing around the tough moment you know, when we lose Aunt May.
1: Yeah, no, here's where a, a thing happens mm-hmm. and you go, oh my goodness. And then uh, Aunt May gets up and you're like, well, thank God. And I mm-hmm. really believed in my heart of hearts that she was an unkillable character. Mm-hmm. But when she tells Tom mm-hmm. that with great power, Mm-hmm. Comes great responsibility, I was like, ah, oh, mm-hmm. we just lost Aunt May. Mm-hmm. But it also changed what this movie meant mm-hmm. to me. Because, really? oh yeah, absolutely. And, and I'll, in a couple of key ways. Mm-hmm. First, I associate the beginning of Spider-Man's career with the death of Uncle Ben. Because that's the moment that he learns with great power comes great responsibility. That is the thing that drives Peter Parker for the rest of his career. Those echoing words through his head. Mm -mm. The fact that they came from Aunt May means that Spider-Man's career starts today. And the reason is, Tony's not got training wheels programs on his suit anymore. Protocols to keep him safe. Mm Mm-hmm. He created a new suit. Matter of fact, it is the red and blue suit I've been craving since day one of this new franchise. This is in the last few moments of this movie. We get glimpses of the most beautiful Spider-Man suit I've ever seen on film. And I want a whole film of nothing but that costume. It's gorgeous.
0: This film ends with Spidey flying through Rockefeller Plaza with the trio. The pieces of this puzzle that clicked
1: together that Hawkeye and. Um, when you think it should be on the ground, the tree should be laying flat on its side and across <laughs> okay. the skating rink.
0: Well, you know, I, it, that's the thing. I, in, in my mind, I saw this film on Tuesday this week, and then I saw Hawkeye on Wednesday. So the tree's down on Wednesday, but it was still up on Tuesday. Well, Tuesday now, night,
1: here's know. the thing that uh, in Hawkeye, yep. that battle takes place on Christmas Eve. Because he's able to get home on Christmas Day, right? So Spider-Man, and as a matter of fact, because that was one thing that I did want to kind of suss out in in my brain a little bit after seeing the Spider-Man movie is Mm -hmm. when it opens up, it is taking place the moment that... Spider-Man Far From Home ends. That's exactly. This is a
0: direct sequel. I mean, you know, that there is literally no daylight between these two films.
1: Well, now here's the thing is that Spider-Man is taking place still in the future Mm -hmm. because of Infinity War giving us a five-year time jump. um, 2023. 24. No, 24. we're in okay. we, uh, we're okay. in summertime of 2024. Okay. Now that's when Peter had his summer school trip to Europe mm-hmm. was sometime in summer of 2024. But in the movie we get here, it starts after they get back, and then at some point, MJ is working in a cafe, and and her boss tells her that she was supposed to take down the Halloween decorations, mm-hmm. and the Halloween decorations are when Peter gets his bright idea to go visit Doctor Strange. And then the movie ends with Spidey swinging by a Christmas tree. So we've covered in the span of this one movie, it started at the tail end of summer and mm-hmm. got us all the way to Christmas time somewhere. Mm-hmm. And that does should tie in somewhere with, with Hawkeye because Hawkeye T- takes place one week before Christmas.
0: Okay. If to me, her boss saying, take down the Halloween decorations, that to me would suggest early November. Well, he said a couple of
1: weeks ago, so it should be mid-November by that point. Okay.
0: And the Rockefeller tree traditionally is brought into New York and set up with the notion that people who are in town for the Thanksgiving Day parade can at least see it. I, th- I think it doesn't get lit up till the first week of December there, but okay, somebody's going to suss this out
1: so a couple of things the uh the commercials that we had Mm -hmm. seen we we uh, were happy to be correct in the fact that there were two spider-men missing from that leap there i knew you
0: were going to bring this up and and you are correct yes you know that that would be lovely to revisit those those trailers or those commercials now and yeah yeah we're we're missing a couple of people but that's in the tradition of erasing
1: Bruce Banner in the, yeah. the Hulk battle suit. Swap, yeah, uh-huh. swapping out one Hulk for one Hulk Buster. There you go. And then uh, beyond that, we we could watch uh, a TV show just called Three Spider Guys, <laughs> if and just where they're hanging around the apartment, just trying to figure out which Peter they're talking to at the moment mm-hmm. and the difference between their web fluids and. Uh, oh, I love those loose moments in this thing. The fact that, you know, the, the, the bit with Toby calling Andrew amazing repeatedly, yep. I mean, there are so many gags, but the each gag, like, is uh, instead of a dagger in the heart, it's like the opposite of that. It's like a little ping of hope and love <sighs> from, from something that happened so long ago. And I feel like such a Grinch because, you know, before this came out, I was like, we don't need no stupid Across the Spider-Verse. We need something original. And yeah. this was just so good. Across the board, and I still don't like the the amazing Spider-Man movies, but I do love what Andrew brought to this movie, and it makes me want to go back and watch those movies again. And atop that, Jim, Mm -hmm. I turn on Apple TV, and if you look at the top most purchased movies right now, Mm -hmm. you know, James Bond, No Time to Die is out right now, but right next to that is the uh, pre-order for Spider-Man Far From Home, And then you got the No Way Home and Homecoming, and then you've also got the original Raimi trilogy, and then you've got the Garfield uh, two movies that are all in the top ten selling right now. So Hmm. people are are seeing this movie, and they're going back and they're going, I need to watch that again. I need to buy a copy of it and watch it right now.
0: Well, as we bring this to a close, I I think we should also talk, about the film's close and, and think of it, you just mentioned the scene in the cafe where the, the the three of them gather together and have their their letters from MIT, and then we have Peter make a sacrifice, you know he's willing to be forgotten to save humanity and save reality, so to speak, and that scene where he goes back into the cafe and, and there's MJ and there's Ned, and you see him aching to. Connect with his friends, who, who, by the way, tearfully begged him, "You yeah, come find us, make us remember." And he opts not to, because again, with great power comes great responsibility. Oh, and we haven't even talked about that graveside
1: scene with Happy, and and it's all all the more bitter sweet. Well, not even sweet; it's bitter. It's just bitter that Happy don't remember him, you know, yeah. and and that's how he walks away. And see, this is the thing that I'm I am eager for now is that. Spider-Man was such a strong character. We never really needed Mm -hmm. Tony Stark to show up in the movie half the time. And we didn't need any of the other Avengers to show up or any of that. We just needed Spidey to go be Spidey and do his Mm -hmm. thing. And that would be fine. And right now, nobody knows who he is. So he is flying solo again. And he's got a brand new suit that just looks like the old classic red and blue, as classic as classic can get. And I'm so excited for that. And he's lost all of his support uh, through Aunt May being gone. And so he's on his own that way, and he doesn't have MJ anymore, and he doesn't have his best friend anymore, so he's alone that way this is like that's why i i believe that this is the the last three movies have been a very long origin story Mm -hmm. and our superheroes actually taking his first steps as a a real bona fide on your own superhero today at the end of this movie
0: that's a fascinating take on this and it'll be interesting to see if this is what sony does you know because and again i i'm sure you saw the press that this weekend again we didn't do a whole whole lot of news with this show but First of all, the very thing you were talking about, Full House on on a Tuesday night, Mm -hmm. you know, that's the reason that we are six days into the worldwide run of this film, and it's already at three quarters of a billion dollars. It's going to be the first film of the pandemic to easily stride past the billion box office mark. Did it end up with the second highest opening weekend or third? Well, that was the thing. They kept having to revise the number, and at, at this point, domestically, it's just behind Endgame. It, it actually blew past Infinity War. So oh, uh, okay. you know, that, that says a lot. Just a couple of little loose threads here. In fact, mm-hmm. I, I, one of the things I loved about this movie is that there was so much of the, again, I know a hammer on the checkoff gun thing all the time, but I love the Ned in the basement at Dr. Strange talking about, well, oh, my grandma says we're magical. And I sometimes feel, feel tinkles in my fingers and to have Ned then able to operate a sling ring. And that one little throwaway toward the end of the film where, you know, Dr. Strange who's in the middle of, you know, a battle going on, on uh, you know, around the, uh, the statue of, Liberty. And then, you opened a portal as if noting that like, Okay, gotta remember this kid right? And to now have Ned With his memory wiped and Does that mean he doesn't get to fulfill this? He doesn't get to pursue this?
1: No, because if he were to be Brought into some sort of situation That required meeting Dr. Strange And it happened to be through Peter mm-hmm. And he doesn't know Peter anymore Then that event that occurred with Peter Didn't happen, therefore he wouldn't remember Dr. Strange as a result mm-hmm. That's how I'm gonna fuzzy logic My way through that one Okay. Okay. A lot of people have been demanding now that mm-hmm. we get uh, a Spider-Man Four starring Tobey Maguire and an amazing Spider-Man Three with Andrew. And while I love that they the fans are so enthusiastic, mm-hmm. I truly believe that mm-hmm. Sony, as eager as they are to make more money, first they're going to focus on Tom Holland's Spider-Man Four. That's the golden bullet right now. And everything else is secondary on the list.
0: I think you are correct there though. I can think we do have to, and we talked on the last show about the trailer. In fact, what's interesting, the doctor strange and the multiverse of madness teaser trailer actually officially today debuted on, on the web. Mm -hmm. You can go watch it in full given also today. We got news that uh, Michael Keaton is going to be reprising his role as Batman in a Batgirl movie, starling Leslie Grace, and this is after he just did the Flash movie where it starts off with Ben Affleck's version of Batman and then it then through multiverse type things. I you know, we get to deal with Michael Keaton's version of Batman. I, I have to ask here, especially given we were just talking on the previous show about the the amazing trailer that's now out there for Spider-Man across the Spider-Verse part one. Are you concerned like me that maybe there's such a thing, you know, how much multiverse is too much multiverse if if everybody's sort of dabbling in these things right now?
1: Actually, I think the DC could use a multiverse right now more than anybody because they've got a Joker movie that's out all by itself in its own little corner of the world. They've got a new Batman movie that's not really connected to anything right now. So if they had a multiverse, they would have uh, this ability to say, they don't need to be connected. We can go off and do these weird little stories elsewhere, and if we want to tie to them later on, we can just fine.
0: Well, let me share one thing that, uh, by the way, this insight comes from Drew Taylor, who I do the fine tuning show with, but I I thought it was worth sharing. He wanted to touch on the fact that if you think about in uh, Spider-Man 3, the final big battle between, you know, Sandman and Venom and, and Peter Parker and Norman Osborn's son took place at a construction site well away from the people. And think about it, what we just saw in this film, we saw the, the battle taking place and the scaffolding around the Statue of Liberty as they were putting in the, the Captain America shield. But again, well away from, from the people, the city. Whereas if you think about Man of Steel, you know one of the, the things that people really took Warner Brothers to task for was you know, watching Superman and Zod fight all around Metropolis.
1: And buildings fall and having some nine eleven type imagery. Yeah,
0: yeah. Yeah. And in the Marvel mindset, I still remember to this day, one of the things that stood out in my mind is that scene in Marvel's The Avengers where the Battle of New York has begun and Captain America rolls up to this group of folks from the NYPD and and literally we need to establish a perimeter you need to get these civilians out of there he's telling the police what to do and he's a tough New York guy why should we listen to you and then there's like three or four Chichari who show up and Captain America takes them out and mm-hmm. the, the police guy goes right okay we're gonna set up a perimeter two blocks down here and we're gonna get the civilians out of here and but they the drumbeat of have to rescue the people have to take care how many scenes in that movie are are devoted to Avengers stepping in and making, keeping people safe, you know, in in fact, you know, honestly, uh, you know, the circle back to Hawkeye, you know, Kate's strongest memory. In fact, they, she tells that story again in episode six about being a kid and looking out the window and being frightened and seeing Clint, you know, take out this alien and then leap off of a building when he couldn't fly. And that's what heroes do. I guess what I don't understand is that DC has been doing this for so long. And how is it that they aren't getting
1: this yet about what people really want from these movies? Well, I mean, if, if you look at just some basic fundamental principles, the two universes are so vastly different because Marvel is very, very bright and colorful. Whereas Snyder likes to desaturate his colors. You know, the Superman's blue does not pop like Spider-Man's blue. Even at night, Jim, mm-hmm. Spider-Man's blue shined like it was made of a m- almost metallic thread. It mm-hmm. was so bright and shiny blue, even at night. Superman, in the daytime, looks like he's almost wearing navy blue to black. mm hmm because Snyder desaturates his colors so much. There's also the humor difference of Marvel. You know, the world could be ready to end for everybody, but there's always quips and one-liners and gags and jokes and things that make you laugh even during a tense moment. Whereas mm-hmm. in DC, if they find a tense moment, they're going to try and hold that tense moment for a half an hour. Maybe in their mind, if uh, an alien race is going to come and conquer us, mm-hmm. Damage is gonna happen. Threats are, are, are going to happen. Independence Day wiped mm-hmm. out all of the major cities on the planet in one scene and we didn't bat an eyelash at that.
2: Yeah. That was uh-huh.
1: like half the world's population gone in, you know, three minutes of screen time. And we went, wow, that looked neat. So, I mean, you got, we can't really then go and look at at Superman and get all holier than thou and go, ah, a building fell down and reminded me of a sad time.
0: Well, what's kind
1: of interesting is, is
0: Henry Cavell has been out doing publicity for the the next season of Witcher. And he's actually been talking about how he would love to get another crack at the man of seal, but he talked about it, but it's, you know, enough of the darkness, it's time to do a big, bright, fun Superman movie. Right. You gotta wonder, especially coming out of this pandemic.
1: Yeah, well, that's part of it, Jim, is like, you know, we've been locked in our homes for, you know, going on two years now. Do we want to go lock ourselves into a theater and see a dour superhero? Mm -hmm. I think we want, you know, things that uh, are bright and colorful Mm -hmm. and imaginative that make you laugh and forget your worries and suspend your disbelief for a while. And, but if you go into something and it's just dark in both color Mm -hmm. and mood, we don't need darkness right now in the time of COVID. We've had enough of it. We would like some daylight, please uh, a little sunshine, if you don't mind.
0: And that's what I have to say that on the heels of seeing Spider-Man, no way home. And then episode six, you know, the finale of Hawkeye, you know, this limited series from Marvel Studios. It's a, it's double prizes. It's, it's like having two, finding two great presents under the Christmas tree. And I'm just, you know, I'm so grateful that A, Spider-Man, No Way Home, which again, an impossible movie, that shouldn't have worked. And that, that it worked as well as it did is just a tribute to John Watts and the back and forth between Feige and Amy Pascal. And then, you know, to, to, jack hawkeye onto that and and to get uh vincent DeFario's wilson fisk and have that seeming to set up you know a whole bunch of stories we can explore next i mean it's just lovely way to to step into 2022 and and speaking of of which though on our next episode of marvelous disney aaron and i are going to take a look back at the year in marvel for 2021 and also offer some thoughts about what may lie ahead for us in, in 2022. But, you know, Aaron and I will be back in, in the week between the holidays. In fact, I, I think our next show will go live right on New Year's Eve. But in the meantime, Aaron, if, you know, folks want to keep track on, on what you're doing between the holidays, well, where can they find you on social media?
1: You can go to your local library and check out the Book of Boba Fett. I hear it's a, a new book coming to libraries soon. I will be in chapter number four, playing the character at Azaprod. Star Wars characters always have the weirdest damn names.
0: As for us in social media, uh, you can find us on Twitter and Instagram as Jim Hill Media. And over on Facebook as Jim Hill Media News. And for now, I, I guess that's going to do it. And again, happy holiday to all you folks uh, who listen. and We, we appreciate your support. And Aaron and I will see you soon.